Turn with me to Titus. Last study tonight, chapter 2. And to start off tonight, the title of the message is The Plan for Discipleship, Key to Christianity, you guys. So we're going to start off with two examples of discipleship. I'm going to show you a video here. It's a video of Nick Foles. You guys all know who Nick Foles is. He was the quarterback who took the Philadelphia Eagles to the Super Bowl and won. And he got traded to the Jaguars. So there he got hurt. But he has this, this video just kills it. And then I'm going to talk about this little situation going on with Chick-fil-A. Two examples of discipleship. So, Dan, if we could roll that video real quick for Nick. Amen. Now, that's an example of someone who was discipled. I mean, everything he spoke right there, you bore witness to true, sound doctrine. Even, even his, his, you know, the prosperity gospel. He doesn't believe in that. And, uh, and it's just neat to see, I mean, you know, his growth, his, his life, and the discipleship that took place in his life. Now, let's talk about this thing that happened with Chick-fil-A yesterday and, and has hit the news today. You guys are all aware that Chick-fil-A um, bowed to the pressure from the LGBTQ and has pulled its funding from Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Awareness in Solidarity, and from the uh, Salvation Army, all under pressure from the, uh, the homosexual agenda. And, of course, their excuse is they're going to be giving the money to some other um, charities that blah, 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 blah. Well, the sad thing is, now, um, Truett Cathy died with September 8th, 2014. So in five short years, we went from this man who we all believe that this company was Christian and even to the point where it wasn't too long ago that we Christians bailed them out when they were under fire and we all decided to go down and show our strength and support for um, Chick-fil-A and that place was packed. And yet we see in five short years. So the difference in discipleship here. See, when Truett was alive, the discipleship was continuing. See, the discipleship has continued with Nick Foles. So he dies and the family is left in charge. And of course, there are those that are believers still, no doubt. But I believe that what we've seen is, is a decrease, a, a, a lack of continuing, even as Paul told Titus to hold fast the faithful word and how Paul told Timothy in First Timothy chapter, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, to continue in the things which you have learned. And it seems to me that Chick-fil-A, they're not continuing. The people that have took over, they don't have that. It's almost like the David and Solomon syndrome. David, a man after God's own heart. Solomon, a man after the world. And so the challenge for us here tonight, the plan for discipleship, the key to Christianity, you guys. So, so important. Paul, of course, instructs Titus in this plan for discipleship. And remember, he's been commanded by Paul. Hey, set things in order and appoint elders. And I believe setting things in order is, is really where this idea of discipleship comes in place, okay? And in this, he's personally charged by Paul, but as for you, chapter two starts out, verse one, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. He's received his own personal responsibility in this because he himself is involved in this as well. 
Yes, he's to appoint. Yes, he's to set things in order. But this is what you're to speak. This is what you're to teach. This is what you're to instruct. He had this personal responsibility. And for me, this is what the whole thing is about. We are here as disciples, amen? And we are being discipled. We're disciples. We're disciplers. We're being discipled. We're to go out and disciple. Me, of course, I'm here discipling you, but I'm being discipled under Pastor Jeff. And I'm, I'm discipling you, and the challenge for you is to go out now and disciple others yourself. The leadership here, they're involved in the groups. They're, they've been discipled. Now they're discipling you. You're being trained up. You're being raised up to go and continue this process. And this plan that began 2,000 years ago. What did Jesus say? Matthew, love this. Of course, 28, you know it, the Great Commission. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and do what? Make disciples of all the nations. Then baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And Lord, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So this thing that began 2,000 years ago, and here we are. It's now 2019. And somebody, the church has been faithful to continue, to continue to teach the things of sound doctrine. But the sad thing that I see happening within the church in our lifetime right now, and no doubt has happened through the ages as well, the church is not discipling properly. When the church can, can allow homosexuality in the pulpit, when the church can receive that and accept that and believe these kind of things that are coming, bowing to the pressure of culture, changing everything. You know, I read today in Hebrews, Jesus is what? The same yesterday, today, and forever. Guess what? He ain't changing. Guess what? His word ain't changing. But guess what? The church is changing because the church is not discipling properly. The church is given in to the pressure of the devil. And as I see it, like we talked, remember what I see in all of you, your pastors in training, your leaders in training, no matter what you end up doing after the book of Titus is done, I see that you're being trained up, guys. You're the leaders, you're the pastors, you're being instructed in the word, you're being corrected in the word, you're being trained up, that you might be the ones who go out into your workplaces, into your family to your, your homes, your neighborhoods. You're getting ready to have Thanksgiving with your families. How many of you are looking forward to saying that prayer at the, at the dinner table? Whether they want to hear it or not. I'm in that place where I'm not sure they want to hear it anymore. Because they're always saying, okay, you can pray, but like, I gotta keep it kind of short, you know, you know, hungry here. I'll pray, I'll pray for indigestion. How's that? No. <laughs> That you might be the ones to set things in order in the church and in this messed up world, guys. The world is coming undone. So discipleship is the key to Christianity, guys. It's been the vehicle by which the church has continued over the centuries, the Holy Spirit notwithstanding. Of course, we pull the Holy Spirit out of here. We're out of here anyway. So the new converts are being taught and instructed. And in turn, they're the ones that are teaching and instructing the others. And what is taking place from every Bible teaching pulpit, okay, Bible teaching pulpit around the world, there are disciples making more disciples 
operating under the Great Commission. And if we ever lose sight of this, guys, if, if, we ever, if it ever stops, if we don't continue to teach sound doctrine, if the church is not instructed in the truth of God's word, then Christianity, I believe, will cease. Not even a question. And so here in our passage, Titus, he's, he's being instructed to disciple and instruct these four different groups of people. We're going to go all the way to verse number um, six tonight. That probably wasn't the part of the plan, but I figured I would throw it in there anyhow. So Titus, here's the plan. Number one, the plan for Titus, verse one, but as for you. Now, really, the focus kind of goes from leadership, although leadership is a part of the church and the congregation. Now Paul is directing Titus to teach the church, the congregation. And really, but as for you, or regardless of what the false teachers are teaching, Titus, here is the plan. Number one, speak the things which are proper. And this basically means to teach them the principles and truths that go along with true Christianity, sound doctrine, the gospel. Speak these things which are proper. Tell them what the word teaches on how they are to live their lives and instruct them in a proper way so their lives will reflect the characteristics of Jesus Christ. And as we go through this list here, and as we saw the list under the blameless man, again, Paul is encouraging. Here it is, guys. Here's the blameless man. Here's, what you, here's the characteristics of your elders that you pick. Now, you in a congregation, you older men, this is what you're to do. You older women, this is what you're to do. Older women, you're to teach the younger women. This is what they're to do. Younger men, this is what you're to do. And imagine, of course, if that takes place, then the church, of course, is prosperous. It grows. People are getting saved. Things are beginning to happen. And in this, though, it's what sound doctrine is all about. And this is what discipleship is all about. We teach other men the truth of God's word, that men would learn how they are to live as Christian men. Of course, we come to Christ. We don't know nothing about Jesus. We don't know nothing about where. We don't know how to treat our wives. We don't know anything other than, than what we had before. But as the time goes by, as the years go by, as you're instructed in the Bible studies, as you're reading the word of God yourself, you are changing. You're becoming more and more the men of God that the Bible speaks of. And of course, this is how this thing has continued. When I started this church on staff in 93, but coming to the church in 91, discipleship was taking place. And there are many men in this room that have been raised up underneath that discipleship and continuing this process. And it's amazing to see. And then, of course, the plan is to pass it all on to others. So now, number two, Titus, disciple older men. Verse two, that the older men may be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith and love and patience. Now, I know there's many different translations out there. I'm teaching from the New King James Version. So the, some of the words kind of are interchangeable with the, maybe the living translation or the NIV translation or whatever you have out there, um, just so you know. But we'll talk about each of these here. So that they would be instructed in the following areas, and it meant to live lives according to these characteristics. Now, Titus was being instructed, these men he's talking about, they, you know, the age in a sense is like 50 and above, 55, 60 and above. Now, Titus is a young man, so older men. How many of us are in that category tonight here? Yeah, too many of us. We need more of the young brothers come on and in. But we'll just take a step back. We're all, we're 39, right? I can hang with that. But Titus was not to cast off the older men, 
But he was, of course, to respect them and recognize the place that older men have in the church. Serious business here, no matter how smart or whatever. Amen? Amen. Some of you said amen, amen. Titus was to use wisdom and how he instructed them. He was to be careful not to offend, especially as a younger man. Now, it's tough sometimes, us older guys, and it's never happened in my life or career where I was actually you know, reporting to somebody that was younger than me. I was always the young guy. And I remember in, in the grocery industry, you know, working with these older men that I was the boss and I'm 35 years old and they're 50-year-old men telling them what to do. It's just a little strange sometimes, but of course you get over it. <laughs> get out there, you old man, get to work. But he was to use wisdom. But to understand, of course, that older men have a wisdom and a contribution you guys understand that, that no one else in the church has. And you younger men truly would encourage you to, to do yourself a favor. Find an older man that you can be discipled under. Somebody that's been there. Somebody that's done that. Who has life's experiences that you don't have. And, of course, make sure that he's godly. And, and us un, younger guys, of course, we don't have all the answers. I say us younger guys don't have all the answers. Even though we think so. Now, remember as teenagers, remember how smart you thought you were? How dumb were your parents when you were a teenager? Remember that Mark Twain quote? Man, it's so good. This is one of the best. He says, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around me. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. So true. So Titus, teach the older man, one, to be sober or temperate. This is the person who avoids overindulgence in all things, and including alcohol and extravagance. He's not subject to extremes. He's level-headed. He's balanced, kind of like what Calvary is. So sober or temperate, to be reverent or dignified, to live lives that are worthy of respect and are examples of godliness to others. Doesn't mean you lose your sense of joy or humor it just means that you live in such a way that the guys can look to you and go man that guy's he's a man of god he walks the talk then to be temperate or sensible or wise this speaks of of exercising discernment self-control and good judgment while living in a sinful world that's the challenge there guys then titus is taught by paul to say hey that these guys are to, to, to be sound in faith. And this speaks really of a, of a, stead, a stability and a steadfastness. And it's interesting. Uh, the older men, they've learned that God can be trusted and be faithful in everything in their lives. And oftentimes, guys, that only comes through experiencing hardship, failure, trials, and struggles. Even like Nick, as young as he is, Okay? He broke his shoulder. He's out. Look at the life experiences that he's going to be learning from this. And if he continues in the NFL, how will he be able to be used by God for those men that are younger? See, us that are older, just by the nature of being on this planet longer, chances are you got more experience under your belt. You've gone through it. You've experienced things that the younger person hasn't had a chance to experience. I tell the story oftentimes when I first became a pastor and one of the first things you start doing is funerals. 
Well, I was 36 years old. I had never lost a close loved one in my life at that time. But you do these funerals, and you go, and here's this, you know, person right here. The family's broken everything. And, and you can sympathize, but you can't empathize. I had no idea, really, what they were going through. The last person close to my life that I lost was when I was 12 years old, my grandpa died. All that time. There's nobody close to my life. But I tell you what, when my mom died, back in 2003, my funerals completely changed. Completely changed. I, I knew what they were going through. I had experienced the loss of a very close loved one. And to go through that experience brings so much wisdom, so much knowledge and understanding. But that's what it talks about, to be sound in faith. You've experienced God's faithfulness in your life. And you can pass that on to others. But then he says to be sound in love. And again, they understand that the greatest of these is love. That's it. To never lose sight of the fact that we are to love one another as Christ has loved us and gave himself for us. And love, of course, covers a multitude of sins. And, of course, that love is the fruit of the Spirit. And out of love come joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So to be sound in faith, sound in love, but also to be sound in patience or perseverance, man. And guys, younger guys, I'm going to tell you right now, as you get older, it doesn't get easier. What I've experienced, life is getting harder. And I tell you what, it's kind of, I, I, obviously it's God's plan, but I see it as, as you get older and you, you're experiencing more and life is harder, it's like, I'm longing for heaven today more than I ever have. I can't wait to get out of here. I'm, sometimes I don't want to leave my wife and my family and such, but it's like, you know what? <laughs> Adios, amigo, I'll be in heaven. I won't be looking, looking back. But to be sound in patience or perseverance, able to patiently endure hardships and the challenges of life, especially when things don't go well. And one thing for sure, guys, as you get older, we're going to experience the loss of more loved ones and even up to impossibly, as some of you in this room, the loss of your wives, your closest person to you on this planet, man. And after my mom passed away, um, towards the end of my stepdad's life, um, you know, we got closer. I began hanging out with him more and more and more. And I'm so thankful that God put that up on my heart. I had to make the effort. He was living life. I was living life. No, no, no. I ain't letting this happen. So we'd meet for lunch and we would get to know. I just, it was just so good to see um, and to hear. And, and now that he's passed away three years ago, um, I look back at that and I see that time as I look at his life and, and this man, he has endured some tough things in his life. And yet he always had the ability that no matter what, he, he loses his son when his son was young. You know, he, his first marriage fell apart. He was an alcoholic. He recovered from that. He gets married to my mom. They're married 32 years. She passes away. He keeps, he keeps chugging, keeps going, keeps, keeps life going. He gets remarried. Things go well. Things happen in that. Thing. Then he gets sick. And he passes away. But I could see here this idea of he was, he was patient, but also he had perseverance. And, and he, it wasn't perfect, but guys, that's what this is all about. You, as you get older, the older men, you're able to endure these things because of what you've gone through. So now number three, disciple the older women. 
Titus, here's what you got to do. Verse 3 and 4, the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, on and on and on about what they're supposed to do. They're to love their children. So with the women, though, the older women, likewise, Titus, of course, was also to teach the women. Now, they're, they're figuring the age for these women was age 60 and up. Now, in the idea that a lot of them would have been widows, possibly by then, of course, because of the age, the expectant life expense then. But we know there's a lot of people that are in this room that have wives that are that age. So, so we're going to talk to them as wives as well. So he's teaching them like the men, but there's some specific things, of course, and instructions that were for women only. And, of course, they do it with, he used to do it with respect and with gentleness as to a mother. He's teaching his mom in, in a sense. So first off, he says they're to be reverent in behavior. Obviously, we know what this means. Godly examples of holiness in speech, in dress, in contact, uh, conduct. Um, I, I guess being a cougar wouldn't be what Paul had in mind here. So isn't that sad? That's like the sickest thing that you can see. It's like, oh, my gosh. But that's what the world's all about, huh? That's, that's like the... the, the 60 is the new 40, and that's, that's the whole idea behind it, but that's not reverent behavior. Not slanderers, or another word for that is malicious gossips. And the word here is pretty strong. It's diabolos, which means, really, slanderer or false accuser spoken of Satan. So that's a strong word. So obviously, the problem of gossip then is the same as the problem of gossip now. And this, this speaks, though, of destructive words spoken about others, uh, really with the intent of hurting those people. And I remember years ago when we were at the Nazarene Church, um, one of the reasons um, we left, and, and, of course, God sovereignly orchestrated things to get us out of there, but the sad thing, the church secretary, now there was the pastor and the secretary. That was the only staff they had in the small little church. But she just happened to be the biggest gossip in the church. So you go in for counseling to go see the pastor, and guess what? As she was listening, by the time you were done with that counseling appointment, half the church knew what the counseling appointment was about. It was sad. It was sad, dudes. I'm not joking. It was pathetic. And a lot of people got up and left the church. Senior pastor wouldn't do anything about it. God did, though. Closed that church down almost. So reverend behavior, not slanders, but also not given to much wine. Not addicted or enslaved, and of course, it refers to drunkenness. And that goes without saying, because nothing good can come out of this for men or women. And to be teachers of good things, instructions in that which is noble, excellent, and lofty, they were to disciple those they came in contact with and to be, with, by their righteous and godly behavior, be dis- discipling others to do the same thing. So teachers do good things, and also they were to admonish the young women. And we'll get into this here in a minute. But as part of this discipleship, they were to encourage the younger women to be an example for them to follow. And, of course, guys, and look at this a little bit of context. I see this as a clear picture of how we are to teach our wives as well. Even right here straight from the book. You and your wife, let's talk about these things here. Not in a way that you're the boss, you're the... You're the, the 
professor and she's the, the, the student, but in a way to look at, hey, these are the things. And of course, the women are being taught these things in the women's ministry as well. But really, it starts with us, though. It ultimately starts with you being the example. The women were to be the example to the younger women. The older men were to be the example to the younger men. We're to be the example to our wives as well. Because really, honestly, if you're treating your wife wrong, if you're yelling at her and you're treating her disrespectfully, the minute you try to play this game, okay, hon, let's talk about how you're to be act. Really? I mean, they'll listen to your hip- hypocrisy only for about a nanosecond. And then they'll be running you out the door there. But as leaders, though, God has called us, guys. And that's the, the hierarchy that God has established. And that's his plan, his order. This discipleship plan is his plan for not only the church, but for the home and for the family. But the key for us is to be like Paul. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate who? As I imitate Christ. We're to be imitators of Christ as dear children, imitators of God. Starting off with love from the example of Jesus and how we treat our wives. And they will be way more receptive to listen, to sit down and talk with you about this thing. Amen? And now number four, Titus, disciple the young women. And of course, it goes on that they admonish the young women, verse four, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Now, Titus, in his discipleship, was to teach the older women, and this included telling the older women, now here, this is how you're to teach the younger women. And this really, the, the focus here is on, of course, those who are married, but of course applies to the single women as well. To love your husbands. Now, interesting, it kind of goes without saying, don't you think? <laughs> but this interesting, this word only occurs once right here in the New Testament. And really what, it's not the word agape, to love your husband. It's not the word agape. It's another word. And I'm not going to try and tell you what it is because I butchered the Greek. So don't worry about it. But it speaks of the affection and the intimacy in marriage. And so the older women teaching the younger women to do this. Now, you think back in the context of the time frame. Remember, and of course, Christ came and revolutionized everything. And of course, Paul backs that teaching up in Ephesians where husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. What? Because really back then, men had wives that were to bear children. Men had their little thing on the side, the concubines, for pleasure. So I think really what we're looking at here is that wives love your husbands, show the affection because that's not how the culture was. Imagine having being the wife to a man who really only looks for you for one thing, and that's to bear him children. I'm sure that he was appreciative. I'm sure he was affectionate in a sense. But, but then he had the other thing on the side here that was the younger thing that kept young because he would keep changing that up. And yet here this older woman who's bearing your one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine, ten kids. So love their husbands. And, and if the husband is loving his wife as Christ loved the church, and the wife is loving her husband like this, that's heaven. That's a marriage made in heaven. And that's what God's plan is, and that's what God wants. So he was to, they were to teach, to love them, but also to love their children. 
Now, wow, wait a minute. You think this would go without saying as well. Love your children. And yet, again, going back, well, maybe that same wife who had that kid by this husband that basically says, woman, you need to bear me children because I'm going to put them to work in the field. It was just that maybe it was like, you know what? I don't like this kid because I don't like that man. And so maybe there's some, some idea behind it there. Um, but also I wonder, as I looked at this, maybe there was this idea as God um, putting this in there. Maybe he wrote this to address maybe this issue nowadays of abortion. Now, of course, we know the child isn't born in abortion, and yet wives, love your children. Don't abort your kids. Love those kids. They're alive. They're, they're, they're living. But then, of course, looking back as well, and the practice probably prior to this time, but we know it was going on in the time of King Solomon when they would worship the different gods. And I believe it was, I believe it was either Molech or Chemosh where the worship of that type of God, what did they do to the kids? Set those kids up on the arms that were heated and just toast them. No, 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 no. Wives, love your husbands. Wives, love your children. Then also to be discreet, sensible, self-controlled, speaks of common sense and pure judgment, but also to be chaste, number four, or pure. Obviously, being morally pure and faithful in marriage uh, also speaks of properly adorning themselves. And here, brothers, this is, this is a job we have to do ourselves as well with our wives. Now, when, when we talk about the way that our wives dress, now, this is a touchy subject. Don't get me wrong. I understand this. But you know what? It is our responsibility, you that are married, that if your wife is dressing in such a way, I mean, the way she dresses at home between you and her, that's totally fine. Bed, marriage bed is pure. It's undefiled. But when she goes out, when she comes to church, do us all a favor, brothers. You just, you got to do it. You got to, you got to have that conversation with your wife the right time. Use wisdom, Holy Spirit, lead and guide this. But the problem with a lot of women is they don't understand what you and I struggle with to the degree that you and I both know that we struggle with it. And so when we're even here at the church, the brothers that handle the foyer, every single one of them will test the fact. It's like, do you realize you just came to church? And, and they'll be talking, and all of a sudden down the hallway, and, and then you'll notice some of the guys, hey, look at that video over there, man. That's a pretty cool video. Guys, do us all a favor. Talk to your wives. And they're going to be like, can't you can't exercise self-control, all this kind of stuff? To the best of our ability, we will, we can, we try. But our flesh is our flesh, and we don't need any help. Amen? From the sisters in the church. So, to be chaste or pure. Women don't have to help us stumble. They can, they can be. Now, of course, the non-believers that come in and this and that, you're, you know, there's nothing you can do about that. They'll learn. But also to be homemakers. What? Is that still a word in vocabulary today? To attend to the needs of the family in the home, and the home is where she will have the most influence over her children and will set the example for their homes. And guys, I can't 
stressed enough. Of course, it is hard to live on single incomes in California, Southern California, but to the best of your ability, it's to the betterment of your families. My wife stayed home quite a bit, but not all the time. But the cool thing is, in part of the, the money that you know, she was out, she actually went to, to work where the boys went to school. So she, <laughs> right there on the playground, right there, the teachers come, hey, Mrs. Stovall, so-and-so, it was right there. I mean, it wasn't like they were gonna get away with anything. But to be homemakers, examples in their homes. But then, of course, to be good or kind. Um, another one that should go without saying. But you know what? I think in the idea that life, life can be frustrating. And if you think about kids at home, how that can test their patience and unkind words and actions can happen. And I tell you what, when I was growing up, you know, I was the youngest. I was the youngest in the family. I have, I have a seven-year older brother and a five-year older brother. So now, of course, they grew up. They were, they were way ahead of me and everything. But it didn't take me long to figure out that, that, that mom could be like two different people. Wait a minute here. <laughs> and my brothers, of course, you know, of course, when that, that time came, the, it, was, it was wrath and anger and, and man, whoa, what up, what's up with mom here? And they go, yeah, that's it. That's, we don't know what's up, but this is the way it is. So, <laughs> but anyhow, to be kind, they were to be kind. Then, of course, um, to be obedient to their own husbands. A means to be subject or in submission as unto the Lord. Out of love and obedience to Jesus, even if their husband is a knucklehead. Man. <laughs> we go guilty. Amen. Obedient to their own husbands. That the word of God may not be blasphemed. And man, when, when a family is together and is planted discipleship to instruct um, when people follow these instructions, um, God was honored, guys, and their behavior brought him glory. And we see that in a marriage in a family that is truly walking in God's ways. It's a sight to see. Not all families, obviously, they're not, even if you're trying, sometimes it doesn't work. But see, if they disobeyed, of course, we know this. Then God, of course, Jesus gets the rap, he takes the blame, he gets the black eye, because people look upon that and say, man, you Christians, you're the worst people on the block. You guys are fighting, screaming, yelling. Your kids are breaking windows and stealing stuff out of cars. And all these works, of course, deny him. And then lastly, number five, Titus, disciple of the young men, verse six, likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. And, of course, likewise, in the same manner and plan and context, exhort or urge to strongly entreat or encourage. Here it is, to be sober-minded, sensible. It means to have common sense, to exercise Good judgment, and here's that word again, self-control. Self-control, guys, great counsel for all of us men, but especially the younger men. Can't stress enough the need for self-control. It is a fruit of the Spirit. It is, guys. And I must control self, self-control, this flesh, turning from my flesh, crucifying my flesh daily, saying no instead of yes, turning off the junk on the computer and on the phone in the context of anything that is just not pleasing to God, and then turning my head and looking the other direction, exercising self-control, and even goes down to diet. 
self-controls. We talked about that a little bit last week of the Cretans as they were lazy gluttons. So, application factor for us tonight. Are you personally discipling anyone? This is something for you to think about. Maybe your wife, your kids, your coworkers, younger brothers. This book here I've used um, many a time with different guys that have come in. Disciplines of a Godly Man. Um, Kent Hughes, great stuff here. 19 different chapters covering just about everything you can talk about in Christianity. And the cool thing is there's questions for people. So, so you, you see somebody, you, you, you know somebody, whatever. Grab that book. Have them grab that book. Hey, guys, let's go through this book together. Let's do this together. And then give that book to that person and tell them to do that with someone else they know. And this is another tool that's on the back table there as I talked about these doctrines here. You can even take that and go through that. Taking five at a time as you meet with you guys. So personally discipling someone is such a great thing, such a great joy to be able to sit and hang out and, and, and watch these people, watch them grow up, even as you are growing up. But also, guys, again, Christian discipleship is not popular. We use some words here about uh, submission, obedience, homemakers, and the, the Christian model of discipleship is under attack. It really is. I mean, even the idea that we at Calvary believe that only men should be pastors. <gasps> and, of course, this women empowerment age that we live in, man, Hollywood and the media, um, submission to or respect for male leadership is, is, is just is tanking. And what's happening, even in the media, the movies that, that, you know, this whole deal is that the women are the heroes, the women are the leaders, the women are the strong men, strong women. I mean, you know, I, I didn't see the movie, and I won't see the movie, but I saw some of the previews of this latest Terminator one. And where's Arnold? It, it, it looked to me like an old woman's running the show. She says, she even quotes, I'll be back. Oh, my gosh, give me a break. <laughs> The women are in charge. And, and I, you know, it's nothing wrong. I mean, I totally agree with women being paid the same amount for the same kind of work. Don't, don't even get me wrong. But when we look at the biblical model of leadership in the home, Satan is attacking that model in just this thing alone. And sad to say that in the home, a lot of times, the women are the spiritual leaders. Guarantee you right now, there's more women in the women's ministry than there are in the men's ministry tonight. And then, of course, the Me Too movement. It sparked a I don't need a man mentality. Okay? And for good cause, guys. Men have not treated women properly, they have not treated women biblically, they have not loved their wives as Christ loved the church. And it's horrible, the abuse and the abusing that continues to go on, the horrible things the Epsteins and the Weinsteins and any other Steins have done. Isn't that kind of funny that, are they guys related or something? And yet it's horrible. When you read about it, I'm not, I'm not making jokes of this. This is terrible stuff. And it continues to go on and we see what's going on. And our society is full of this stuff. And really, the women are like, they've had enough. Good cause. I, I totally agree with that. But in reality, guys, 
This is just another attack by the enemy upon the church and the word of God. Because when you think about this little plan of discipleship right here, when you read through this, and women are act this way, and men are act this way, this and that thing, in ed, in, really, in essence, you want to take it to a radical extreme, it's, oh, this, that's hate speech, telling me that I've got to do this, and my husband, I've got to be discreet and chaste and a homemaker. What is that? That's archaic to them. That's stuff of the past. That's no, 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 no. Nowadays, men and women are, are competing in the homes on their careers. Who can have the greater career? Who can make the most money? Who can be away from the home long enough, longer? You know, we'll just let the kids be watched by the nanny or send them off to school. The devil, you guys, is, is raging. But, guys, if discipleship is done properly, according to God's word, it will change the world now as it did 2,000 years ago. But we've got to continue with this, guys. And again, number three, discipleship, again, the key to Christianity's future. We started with Jesus and the 12, and has continued for centuries, but it's got to continue in Jesus, until Jesus comes. To continue properly, according to Scripture, not according to culture, not according to what the culture says. And yet, sad to say that even within the church, they're bending to the culture. They're looking at the fact, they're buying into the lie that keeps being spoken by the devil that, yeah, 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 we've got to change. Things got to change. Culture is changing. Society is changing. But like I said earlier, Jesus is the same. He ain't changing. God's word isn't changing. It's not that we're being dogmatic in a bad way, but yes, I am dogmatic. God's word, this is what I believe in. This is what I live by. This is what I stand on. And what it says, I do. What it says, you do. And what it says is wrong, is wrong. Not what society says is wrong or right. What God's word says is wrong. And I don't care what anybody says. And that's, guys, we, we've got to continue teaching this and this discipleship that's got to be handed down to your kids, to my kids, to the church, to continue on until the Lord Jesus comes. Amen? So this idea of, of discipleship that Paul here, Titus, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Amen? Amen? Amen. Father, again, thank you for your word. So good, so rich, so real, Lord, so relevant for us even today. Pray, Lord, even as the men jump into their groups and discuss and talk, Lord, minister to their hearts. God, I pray in this area of discipleship, um, Father, that you would place upon their hearts, Lord, even that willingness to be discipled as they are and that willingness to disciple others and to um, just to grow in that area and to be used of you, Lord. So again, bless the families, bless the homes, Lord, I pray. Help the marriages in this room, Lord. And Father, again, as we look at um, good examples of discipleship and bad examples of discipleship, as we look at what's happening in this world, Lord, as it is continuing to be um, led by the devil, Lord, let us shine the light and the love of Jesus. Lord, not... um, giving in or or giving up one inch, but, Lord, doing all things in love. So bless, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.